Welcome to Lakeside Church's message podcast. Our prayer is that you fall in love with Jesus, find your church family, live in freedom, and be active in your purpose. Let's join the message already in progress. Thank you, Emmerich, for helping me remember. All right, we are going to go, while he's doing that, we're going to go to the book of 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 29. We're in a series or a, a, a group of messages where we're talking about somebody very important in the, in the Bible. It's an Old Testament guy named Elijah. Why are we talking about Elijah? Because, you know, before Jesus came, John the Baptist was first. He prepared the way. He came in the spirit of Elijah. If you're the guy before Jesus, it's figured and he met, he met with two people from the Old Testament, Moses and Elijah. Um, there's there's p- uh, passages in the New Testament pointing us back to how Elijah prayed and how his faith was. And, and um, he's just a key character. So I thought it would be good to take some time and to learn a little bit about him um, because he's very important to the Christian faith. Um, and so a little bit of background. I, I want you to start in verse 29 of 1 Kings chapter 16. And it says... In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, you might be saying, Chris, you said Elijah. I don't see his name up here anywhere. Well, I want to talk about this guy a little bit, Ahab. Ahab was the king in charge of um, northern Israel, the northern kingdom. And you're gonna, I want you just to hear, hear what they say about Ahab. Look at verse 30. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord. He was a wicked king. So Elijah, in order to understand Elijah, you need to understand that his ministry, his service to God was happening in a very difficult time. The head of the nation was against the Lord. In fact, if you're in the Bible and they said, man, this guy did more evil than everybody else before him, you're a bad guy. Ahab was wicked. He led the nation into idol worship. Look at verse 31, it says, And as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, he took for his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Edabal, the king of the Sidonians. So, in other words, um, Jeroboam, he was a bad guy too. Ahab did just as bad as him and worse. But that wasn't enough. He had to do even more. So he marries this lady from from the Sidonians who is super wicked. And she kind of has him, and I don't know a better way to say this, but kind of on check. And what I mean is she kind of controls him. She, She is bossing him around a lot. And he is trying to make her happy and not God happy. And she brings even more idol worship, even more wickedness into the nation. They says, and they went and served Baal and worshipped him. They brought a pagan God into, Jesus, into God's kingdom. The Israelite nation was God's nation. And this king was so wicked, he brought it in and made it the official religion. It wasn't just like Ahab was a bad guy. You know, we've all seen some leaders who have a lot of bad things they do on the sly and their personal lives are a mess. But not only was he a mess, 
He said, we're all going to be a mess. We're all going to worship this pagan God. In verse 32, it says, he erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in the God of rain. Last week, we talked about how Elijah stopped the rain. He prayed that it wouldn't rain, and the rain stopped because he's having this battle with Ahab, a wicked ruler, and with Baal, this, this, wicked, this wicked person, this wicked God, this false God. In verse 33, I, I just, you need to see this. And Ahab made an Asherah. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. So not only was Baal, and you've got to understand this, Baal was a false god that was kind of in the region, but he brings in Jezebel, and it brings in Asherah, which was another false god. It was kind of a god of sensuality. So you have him turn the whole nation away from the god of creation to a god of the harvest, or productivity, or greed, and a god of sensuality, or sex, and cult prostitutes. Do we have anybody leading our nation that way? And I'm not calling out a particular person, but there's lots of people, not just one, that are leading our nation into like a God of... and a God of sensuality. It was happening back then too. And you've got to see this last thing, verse 34, and then we're going to get into some really, really interesting stories. Verse 34, it says, In the days of Hael, of Bethel... Uh, in his days, Hael of Bethel built Jericho. Jericho was destroyed by Joshua. You remember the story about the trumpets? You hear it in kids' church, and it's the whole city fell down. Well, there was a pronouncement made that if this city would ever be rebuilt, God would take the firstborn of whoever did that. And look at what happened. He laid its foundation at the cost of Abraham. The, his firstborn. And he set its gates at the cost of his youngest son, Segub. It's hard to pronounce for me. It's kind of an interesting name. Times offer their sons, their children, to this pagan god. This was not just like, oh, it's another religion. Yeah, like you can serve Yahweh, the God of Israel, or you can serve Baal, and they're basically the same thing. No. This was a completely different thing that sometimes in service of him, you would even, even sacrifice your children. That's the nation that Elijah was working in. That's the one he was living in. Now, last week in chapter 17, we read about how Elijah made it stop raining, and then he went and he, he stayed with a widow. And in chapter 18 is where we're going to go now. I wanted to give a little more background about Ahab and Baal and the wickedness. Chapter 18, verse 1, so flip a few pages or click a few buttons. It says, After many days the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, show yourself to Ahab. This wicked king who served a false god worse than all the other kings, married a horrible woman, brought in more pagan worship, for productivity and sensuality. So the word of the Lord came to him, and notice it says three years. It took a while for Elijah to get this call. And he says, go, show yourself to Ahab. 
and I will send rain on the earth. God is letting the nation of Israel, letting Ahab know, Baal doesn't bring rain, I do. I stopped rain for three years, and now I'm going to bring rain back. God is demonstrating his glory here. So, but, but notice how God did it. God did it through a person, through his people who believe in him and are submitted to him. In fact, God may want to demonstrate his glory through you. But Elijah is doing his work. So Elijah, verse 2, he went to show himself to Ahab. Now, there was a famine that was severe in Samaria. It hadn't rained for three years. Crops hadn't grown. People were starving. When, when leaders are wicked, their people suffer. Ahab called Obadiah, who was over his household. Now, Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. And when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord... Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water. This is another thing that we could rush by, but you have Elijah kind of working on the outside, right? He's kind of hiding from the king, and sometimes he goes and talks to the king, and then he kind of runs away, but he's very separate. Obadiah was stuck working for this wicked king, and Obadiah was still serving God, And he was hiding these prophets. And I guarantee you it was not easy for him to hide them. It was dangerous. And it was not easy during a famine to get them bread and water, but he was doing that. See, very often you might be an Elijah, somebody working from the outside. But you might be in a group or in a situation where you're kind of on the inside. And you still have to be true to Jesus You still have to be honest to the Lord, and that's what Obadiah was doing. He wasn't letting Ahab lead him into wickedness. And Ahab said to Obadiah, go through the land and all the springs and all the valleys. Perhaps we can find some grass and save some horses and mules alive and not lose some of the animals. Ahab's being very selfish. He's, He's not really worried about the people. He's not trying to feed the animals that will feed the people. He wants the horses and the mules. That's for his army. That's for his military might. He's a wicked king. He does not people. So they divided the land between them and they passed through. Ahab went one way. Obadiah went another. It's interesting that a wicked king still had God had a godly man serving him. Some of us, we might be in situations where we're Maybe we're working for someone or we're around somewhere like Obadiah that there's wickedness, but we're trying to still hold on to righteousness. Verse 7, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of go through a little bit right there. Verse 7, it starts where Obadiah meets Elijah. I'm going to go through this a little quickly so we can get to the other part. I'm going to summarize it. Obadiah um, meets Elijah. Elijah basically says, and you can read all these verses, but he basically says, hey, take me to Ahab. I, I want to see him. Obadiah freaks out. He's like, no, you're going to disappear. God, and, and, and if you read that story, it talks about how like the spirit of God takes him away or something like that. And it's this idea that God was protecting Elijah, that Elijah was in a wicked land where there was a wicked king and a wicked queen, queen but God was was protecting him. And Elijah basically says, no, I'm going to go. Don't worry, Obadiah. Tell him that I am going to go. 
So verse six, uh, 16, we'll skip down a little bit. I paraphrase those little middle verses, but you can go back and read them. Obadiah went to meet Ahab and says, Ahab, Elijah wants to meet you. Elijah is going to confront paganism in Israel. He's going to confront a wicked king. Sometimes God calls his people to confront wickedness. And Elijah is about to have a showdown. Verse 17, when Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Oh, it's you, the troubler of Israel. It means he causes problems or he troubles so much that the only way to fix it is to kill him. Elijah is being told by Ahab, you're causing problems and you need to die. It was a dangerous thing to do. Verse 18, and he answered, he goes, I've not troubled Israel, but you have. It's a lot of boldness. And your father's house, because you've abandoned the commandments of the Lord and you've followed the Baals, these false gods of the harvest of productivity and sensuality with the Asherah. Now, verse 19, this is one of the best stories in the Bible, and I, I won't be able to do it justice, man. I pray that the Spirit of God would show you how awesome this is. Uh, he goes, Now gather together all Israel and meet at Mount Carmel. And the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. Jezebel was a wicked queen. She was really pumping this paganism, this idolatry, this evil into the nation, and Ahab was happy to let her do it. And Elijah is about to have a showdown. One, verse 450 of Baal and 400 of Asherah, one, verse 850. But he's still not outnumbered because the one who is with him is greater. So Ahab gathered all the people to this mountain, it was a mountain with a lot of shrines, a lot of worship had gone on there for different gods. There was even an altar to Yahweh there. And they gathered at the mountain, verse 21, and Elijah came to all the people and he says, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? See, the nation was caught. Ahab was wicked. He was bringing it in. But not everybody in the nation was like, super happy about it. And so they had this, 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 this battle inside of them. Do we keep like our sorry, um, but yet we still kind of like Yahweh. Like we still remember our fathers and our grandfathers served Yahweh. And, and so they were limping between two opinions. There's coming a time, I think, where God is going to ask the church the same question. How long will you keep limping between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. I think that makes perfect sense. If Jesus is Lord, let's follow him. And if he's not, let's go to the lake. Let's just leave. But let's not have two different opinions. Elijah's bringing the nation to account. Verse 22, it says, And then Elijah said to the people, I, even I, am left a prophet of the Lord. 
But Baal's prophets are 450 men. He forgot about those 100 prophets that Obadiah hid. But I sure, I'm sure he felt that way. He felt that he was the only one. He's up on the mountain in front of the people with 450 pagan prophets and him alone. He felt like he was alone. He said, let two bulls be given to us. Let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on wood, but don't put any fire on it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on wood and put no fire on it. You call on the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he's God. So what he's saying, he's saying, all right, let's see what happens. You take an offering, you put it on your idol or your altar. I'll put one on Yahweh's altar. None of us are going to touch it. If one of these gods is real, let's ask them to start the fire. It's a showdown. The nation is watching. Sometimes there's a look what happened. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose for yourselves one bull, prepare it first, because there's many of you, and call on the name of your God, but don't put any fire to it. And they took the bull that was given to them, they prepared it. So these prophets, they prepared it from morning until noon. So a long time, these prophets are crying out, O Baal, answer us. So 450 prophets are doing their thing. Whatever it looked like to worship Baal, they're doing it. It's going to give us a hint. It said there was no voice, no one answered. It says, and they limped around the altar they had made. And at noon, I like this about Elijah, but be careful. Don't like this too much because you might be a little arrogant, but it's still awesome. It says, at noon, Elijah mocked them. He said, cry aloud. Speak up, guys. Maybe he's thinking, musing. Maybe he's on the bathroom. That's what he said, or relieving himself. I know it didn't say it in your Bible, but that's what he said. Maybe he's on the toilet. Even though they didn't have him, but you know what I'm saying. Or maybe he's on vacation, a journey. Maybe he's asleep. He's mocking them. It's a dangerous thing. These 450 prophets, they start crying aloud. And look how they worship. Look, thank God we don't worship God this way. They're cutting themselves, causing their own blood to fall. Thank God we have a, our, a blood of one greater than us that we trust in. It says, the blood gushed out upon them. At midday past, they raved on. So they're just like raving maniacs offering the oblation. But there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention because there is no other God. Just in case you were wondering, there is only one. As his turn, all the people come near. And look at this, he repaired the altar of the Lord. Ahab had destroyed this, the other kings had destroyed the altar. He goes back and he puts that altar back together. Verse 31. And Elijah took 12 stones according to the 12, number of 12 tribes of the sons of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord came 
Israel shall be your name. So he restores the altar, and then he puts 12 stones. To me, that's, he's symbolizing the promise that God had given. He's putting his faith in God. These 12 stones represent the promise you made to the 12 tribes, Lord. And with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. Then he makes a trench around the altar, as great as would contain two sets of seed. That would be about 14 liters of water. And he put wood in order, and he cut the bull in pieces, and he laid it out. That would be enough, right? Elijah wants God to show off. He does something that you don't want to do if you want to start a fire. He says, I want you to know that this is God. He says, pour water on it. Fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering. And he says, you know what? I want everybody to know it's wet. In case you don't know, wet things don't start on fire very easy. Do it a second time. And then he did it a third time. Verse 35, the water ran down around the altar and filled the trench with water. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, now here's something, if you come away with anything, he was very bold toward wickedness, which we we have to be bold. I'm not saying we need to be rude, but we have to be bold and reject wickedness. But he was very humble to God. And he says, O Lord, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant, that I have done these things at your word. See, you wouldn't want to do this if God wasn't leading you. Don't ever do anything this bold or this ridiculous unless you know it's the Lord leading you. But he says, answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this People might know, O Lord, that you are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Man, when we're praying, I'm really praying. I'm not praying for a bull to be set on fire, but I'm praying for our church to be set on fire. I'm praying that people might know that the Lord is God. Verse 38, it says, The fire of the Lord fell down, consumed the the burnt offering, the wood, the stones, and the dust, and then it licked up all the water that was in the trench. God showed off. Remember, the challenge was, just burn the bull. If the bull catches on fire, that would have been awesome. God wants them to really know that he's God. So he took the bull, he took the wood, he took the stones, and the dust, and burned them all, and made sure there was not a drop of water left. And when the people saw it, they fell on their faces, and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. The nation turned back. The people had confidence. King, God was still with them. And Elijah says to them, seize the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape. So they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. It's kind of a rough ending, but it's what happened. A few things would be happening for the people in this church. If there's anybody here limping between two opinions, I hope you would see like believers in this church who are set on fire with God's love 
and God's grace and you would see somebody burning so that you would know, man, God is real. Maybe you're a believer, but your heart's cold and your wood is wet. God can still burn wet wood. Maybe your passion's gone out. Maybe, maybe you've just been going through the motions. Maybe you're not living your life. I don't know. I'm not pointing fingers. I'm just saying maybe. But maybe you're not living your life in such a way that when people encounter you and the way you love and you're, you're, the way you live, that they're just like, man, God is real. I can see it because I see some of him in you. Maybe you're in one of those two camps. Would you bow your heads with me for a second? Would you close your eyes just for a second? If you're in that first camp where you've been limping between two opinions, where you've been serving God and whatever else, I think God wants to put an end to that. I'd like to pray with you right now. I'd like to pray that God would give you the grace to serve him and him alone. If that's you, if you're in that first camp, would you put your hand up right now? Amen, I see. Is there anybody else? God, God, I think he's not wanting that anymore. Lord, I thank you for, that, for the people that put their hand up. God, give them the grace and the understanding that you are God and you alone. And Lord, help them to put you first in their lives and to have no other but you, in Jesus' name. For that second group, maybe, maybe you feel like you're being challenged. You're, you're, you're feeling like maybe, maybe you need a little more, but Lord is God, and maybe your wood is wet. Your passion for the Lord, your, your love for him, your love for his people has grown cold, and you'd like a fresh touch of his spirit to burn within you with God's love and God's grace and to burn up everything in your life so that people might know, hey, God is real. That they could see the love in your eyes and the, the kindness and the way you talk and the way you handle truth and that you might bear witness to the reality of God. If that's you, that's all right. Peep hands are already going up. Put your hand up. I see God already working on some people right where you're sitting. I see God already working on some people right now, even before we're praying. Just let his love come into your life. Let his grace, let the reality of the cross. Remember, he died for you. He freely gives you his grace. He freely gives you his mercy. He freely gives you his spirit. It's not of your own works, it's of grace. Lord, I thank you for the people that raise their hands. Lord, I pray that your word would rise up inside of them, that your spirit would fill them, that your grace over their lives. Lord God, and if there's anything, if their wood is wet, God, burn it up. Burn up any distraction. Burn up any apathy. God, burn up any, anything keeping them from being fresh and full 
and, and burning with the love of Jesus, with the truth of Jesus. May the truth of Jesus burn in our hearts. May the truth of the gospel grip us afresh, Lord. May we be alive in Christ and not dead. In Jesus. Hey guys, I'm Bob. <laughs> <laughs>